Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hi, everyone. Now, it's going to be a little tricky, um, so I really appreciate everybody bearing with us. We're in a tricky spot here with Sarah, but um, I'm Erin. I'm uh, I've got a couple of different titles. I look after the Ramsey as well as the Adelaide Biennial, so I've had the pleasure with working Sarah with Sarah and the other 22 finalists. Um, I first wanted to start by acknowledging that we, um, and pay my respect to the many Aboriginal nations across this land, traditional custodians and elders past, present and emerging, and in particular the Ghana people whose land we meet on today. So I wanted to welcome, you guys can pop around if you like, yeah. I'll keep lunging across just to, um, you know, so you get to see both sides, even though this side is better. Um, welcome Sarah. This is very exciting. Sarah is a local South Australian artist, uh, arts writer and academic, last year having completed your PhD at the School of Architecture, Art and Design at the UniSA. You've been very busy, very, very busy, especially in the last decade. So since uh, being awarded the Ruth Tuck Scholarship in 2006 um, to study hand embroidery at the Royal School of Needlework in the UK, you've been, yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sarah has been uh, a tour de force. Um, we're very lucky, you know, still based in South Australia, haven't been lured anywhere else, so that's great. Her embroideries and handcrafted sculptures dwell within the gaps of Australian histories to examine settler colonial homemaking patterns and practices, especially her own genealog genealogical... Whoa. Ghostscapes. Bear with everyone. So major exhibitions, you guys might remember Sarah from our very own Sappers and Shrapnel in 2016, curated by Dr Lisa Slade, and more recently in 2018, Limb by Limb at the Art Collective in WA, which you had a residency or tied in as well? Yeah. In 2017, she was the recipient of the inaugural ACE Open South Australian Artist Commission, where she staged a solo exhibition, Domestic Arts, and you guys, hands up, who went along to ACE Open? A few? Excellent, good. You'll have your questions ready then, that's good. This exhibition, which is very exciting, and I can see our country arts uh, folks in the audience, this will be touring South Australian regional galleries from 2020. So if you're out on the road, and I encourage you to get out and about some beautiful regional galleries, you can see Sarah's work travelling the state. Her works are held by the Crothers Collection of Women's Art, Ararat Regional Gallery, and the Art Gallery of South Australia, so we're very lucky, and private collections nationwide. Um, Sarah is a studio member at the Incinerator in Theberton, a lecturer at Adelaide Central School, so I can see a few colleagues and hopefully students here as well, and is rep represented by Hugo Michelle here in Adelaide. Um, Sarah's going to share a little bit about her practice, this particular work, maybe the Ramsey process, and here's a little fun fact, so I hope you don't mind me sharing. Since uh, entering the prize, you have turned 40, is correct? Whew. And my maths is right, I'm not a numbers person. But on the day that I got to tell the, the you know, 23 finalists was actually Sarah's 40th birthday. So it was a pretty special day. For, well, I felt it was special as well. Um, so we love Sarah here at the gallery. Please make her feel welcome and um, join me in giving her a, a warm reception. Thank you so much, Erin. And I'm going to do the kind of straddle between two walls while I talk. 
Um, I would like to echo Erin's sentiments to um, recognise that we do meet today on Ghana land, but also that I do a lot of research into the Bowendik land of the southeast of South Australia. And, you know, I particularly um, want to acknowledge the care that has been given to this land for generations and generations. And, you know, I think it's really important and something I do in my own practice is recognise that that care hasn't necessarily carried on since um, this land has been colonised. So that's part of my practice, is drawing attention to uh, some of the, the damage that has been wrought, and particularly, you know, my own position in that and my own family history and their damage as well. So, you know, I hope that through my practice, I recognise and start to undo or at least address some of that. Um, so I think Erin Aaron covered a lot in that introduction, and it was the best 40th birthday present ever to open up that email and um, say, you know, congratulations. Um, so I'm going to give a kind of spiel about this work and my practice more generally, but I really want it to be a conversation. So, you know, do feel free to ask questions um, after the spiel, because I'd like, I'd like to um, talk about what you would like to hear about this work as well. Um, so, you know, part of the process of my work is, and this one in particular, I've made a few wallpapers now. This is probably the, the sixth or seventh. Um, my process is one of uh, photographing sites in my local, this is actually on a walk that I do, and I piece together bits or photographs from many, many sites to create a new pattern. And in creating a new pattern, um, I'm speaking back often to, and hands up if you know these, those Semco original long stitch kits from the 1980s. So yeah, I've done a, I've written a paper on those. Um, I've looked at them in many ways through my art practice because I think they're really undervalued but very important and hold a very important story about our sense of what it means to be Australia and the connection that we have to place. Um, I think those kits that came, you know, as a force in domestic households um, in the 1980s came also at the time of the rise of land rights in Australia. And if you think about the subject matter of those kits, they're quite nostalgic, they're um, pastoral, they're looking back to this um, Australian past and the ways that it has been, has been farmed and claimed and possessed. So. In my practice, I use the very same materials. I collect old kits from op shops, and there are so many out there. And I collect ones that have been made sometimes and unpick them. And I use those very materials to remake new patterns about our space and our land. And this one, I hope you can see, is um, a fallen tree, like a fallen giant gum that um, has had many limbs lost in that process has many holes or gaps and um, is kind of lying against this horizon line. And I, I often refer to trees in my practice as these um, holders of knowledge. Like literally, I think, in the rings of the trees, they hold knowledge of things that have happened before. And when we lose a big tree, we're losing a witness to many, many um, happenings events that they have seen and the, the vast changes that have happened on this land over the last 200 years. So often I use trees as a way of, um, you know, I guess symbolising history, how we do lop off certain branches because they're not necessarily in our best interest to recognise or haven't been on a nationalistic, um, as from a nationalistic perspective. 
or there's holes there that we can delve into and draw out more. And I, that's, I see as the kind of the driver of my practice is to pull out those knots and those lines that we haven't explored and draw them out and say, look, look what's here and look what's here. Let's, let's bring this into the bigger conversation about who we are. Um, so the, the colours of this work, like I said, I use those kits, so they are very much in those pastel tones, which do have those um, nostalgic and, I guess, very sweet kind of um, undertones going on. And I particularly um, draw them in. I know um, John Crothers, who has collected my work for a number of years, his um, assistant once said to him, what happened to Sarah? Her work is so dark. <laughs> and I think my work, I hope, kind of, beguiles in that way, that it draws you in with its niceties and its colour and its um, those kind of meticulous details, but then once you start to unpack what's going on, it's, it's a little darker and there's things in there to think about. Um, so I initially made this work um, when I was on the residency, as Erin said, at Art Collective WA, and they had a seven-metre gallery wall. So I created this um, probably well, a 70 centimetre textile, which is the base of this, which is then photographed and blown, photographed obviously to a very high um, quality and then um, blown up and then I, I have somebody who puts it up for me and then cut around it. Um, the residency was the first opportunity I had to actually sit with one of my wallpapers for an extended period of time and then I made little long stitches to work to stick back into it, so hence the what I call the self-setting sun. And if anybody saw the exhibition at Hugo Michel Gallery uh, a few months ago called Dazzle Land, I'd blown up this particular long stitch to 4.5 metres across, so a big kind of... I, I guess I use that, um, and I use all of my wallpapers to set an atmosphere in a space to kind of... So often they're very tall, four metres, high or four metres across and they um, kind of look down on the space and give it a kind of flavour. Um, I also, like all of the stitchings that I've added in here, there's limbs, um, like a foot, an eye, a kind of a portal and myself. And I think, you know, I often think about trees, like I said, as witnesses, but also as very connected um, to people. You know, I think that... Um, care, when we understand that everything is interconnected, we realise that to look after those trees is to look after ourselves as well and we all rely on one another. And I've read quite a few books, I think David Suzuki's book about trees is um, a classic and he talks about how we are actually not that materially different to trees and they live a, a similar life to us just at a much slower pace, you know, they... Um, it's been shown that they can support their young or others around them through root systems under the ground, share nutrients. And there, there's, you know, amazing other stories to be had in these beings that we don't often or don't always take care of. Uh, one, more, one more thing about um, this before I ask if there's any questions is... Um, this is called falling line by line and the line by line part to me is of integral importance. I, I spent time kind of stitching the horizon line in these ongoing patterns that, that keep repeating and I was responding to 
uh, some research I was doing for my PhD, particularly, I think it's from a book called Making Settler Colonial Space. And um, the author, uh, Tracy, forgive me for mispronouncing this, uh, Bani Vanua Ma, um, talks about colonising happening line by line. And I think that really struck me because as somebody with a textile practice, often I'm making line by line. I'm kind of starting from one side and working across and repeating the same pattern again and again and again. And it made me think how, uh, you know, patterns, patterns in stitching are like patterns that are passed along family lines, patterns of behaviour, habits that we have, ways that we maybe, you know, cook the same meal again and again on a weekly basis. These are patterns that start to reshape places around us or reshape, you know, from a, a home-based perspective, um, the world that we live in. And that has happened dramatically here in Australia. And I use that idea of line by line and repetitiveness to look at my behaviour, particularly through my, um, the, my matriarchal lineages as well. Um, I think I've covered lots of things. Maybe I'll ask, are there any questions in the audience? Thank you. Um, I just want to know, when you started knitting and doing textiles from an early age, like with grandma and mum knitting with you? Yeah, so um, the question was, for if anybody couldn't hear, did I start doing um, textiles from an early age, like with my mother and my grandmother? And um, no, <laughs> mainly because uh, my mum was someone who I think it was forced upon her at school. And so she kind of rejected it in lots of ways. But uh, my, grand my grandmothers did. But by the time I came along, they had uh, arthritis or failing eyesight. Um, but as I've continued to work, I do... and like my mum had a um, very rich family history archive I could, and, you know, with artefacts and photographs and I can look back in those and see that it is something that has passed along, matriarchal lines particularly and um, particularly uh, I one point I got to send some work to Germany for an exhibition and I have a German line in my family and, to you know, it was really meant a lot to me. It felt like I was coming full circle that when they bought their textiles out and their traditions, I was sending back my fine embroidery back to show there. So I am always thinking of those, maybe not my immediate generations, but the ones prior as well. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, so, um, so the question was around the Ramsey um, exhibition and what being a finalist means. Well, I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> I think I was, I was shocked um, that I was selected in many ways and it was my last chance turning 40. I knew that, you know, the time was running out to do it. Um, it has been amazing to show alongside, you know, peers from all over Australia who have their, as you can see, their biggest and their best works in this gallery space. And I think there's um, quite a good representation of textiles here in the exhibition as well. And, and these, not only textiles, but um, that kind of slow, handmade, focused way of working, which is really, really important. I think that... Um, Perhaps, I, I don't know what the judges were thinking, but I can, I can think from my own perspective that working in this way, in this slow way, 
and um, uh, you know, it gives me time to reflect that I wouldn't otherwise have in what is becoming a busier and busier life. I say that stitching buys me time and, you know, I guess my, my guilty confession is I do most of it on the couch at night after the kids have gone to bed from eight till one are my, my key times of working in the lead up to an exhibition. But I'm always taking in podcasts and um, movies and TV series, but I'm really focusing in and um, only listening to those, focusing in on the work as well. So as, a, as an artist who, you know, I've been around for a, a little while <laughs> in South Australia. I did graduate from my undergrad in almost 20 years ago, so it's been a while. So I think it's, it's wonderful recognition of the hard work that, you know, I've put in and, you know, all the, you know, I've got a lot of mentors here and um, elsewhere who have helped me along the way and supported my practice, so... Yeah, I don't know. I hope it's the beginning of the next chapter. <laughs> we'll see. Um, my question would be around, can you tell us more about the wallpaper mm. notion of presenting art? And I noticed that you don't have the original piece that you stitched. Yes. Obviously by design. So yes. Yeah, sure. So that's, yeah, good question. It's about the wallpaper aspect of the work and not having the original um, stitch here. Yeah, that is intentional. I don't, I see that as a conduit, I guess, to get to the bigger work, which is the wallpaper. Um, the wallpaper, I should add in here, I, I've done a lot of reflection lately because I gave a keynote speech at a conference last week and when I had to reflect upon my younger life and my high school experiences with school and I was thinking oh yeah I because I did work experience when I was from year 10 and then I continued on in employment with an interior decorator in Mount Gambier where I grew up and um, that interior decorator was you know had a love of very lavish wallpapers and and quite strange colors to put together and he used to be a window designer um, for uh, shops in in London actually so he was he had quite the flair and I think I really fell in love with this idea of wallpapers and how you can transform a space and um, also um, Vivon Twaits is in the audience who's a curator here sorry Vivon <laughs> point you out but um, I remember her talking to me about uh, you know the, the work that goes into my work and the labor and how to make the most of that and to really talk about the actual practice of what it is that I do. So for me, one solution was, in the first instance I did it, was to blow up that really intimate work to a much larger scale so that you can see every move and every decision that I've made. And I, I, sh I should say, I don't start out with a plan of exactly how it should go. I have a, a rough outline. I have a rough kind of pattern that I've pieced together. And then I make decisions while I'm doing it. So I am letting it emerge um, as, it, as it goes and, and uh, you know, you have to not be afraid of unpicking when you work in that way because some things just don't work and you have to unpick but, but that way I, I am, I'm finding my way through this work and I hope by blowing it up large I'm giving a sense of that, that practice side but also as I mentioned the atmospheres as well like I, I want to particularly when I have solo exhibition and these are kind of feature pieces with smaller works that filter out. I want to sh reshape a space. I want to reflavor or um, yeah, give a, it's kind of 
it's a work, but they're also like a backdrop to a bigger conversation that I want to have as well. With Dazzleland, with this one blown up so large. That was Dazzleland, you know, refers to the Maya centre, Dazzleland, but much more about how we, it's literally heating up here in, well, across the world, but particularly in South Australia, I'm so conscious of summers creeping up and up and up, and there was this overwhelming sense of gold and orange and browns and these parched kind of colours happening in that exhibition. My interior decorator side coming out again. <laughs> With the what, sorry? Forest bathing. forest bathing? I don't know about forest bathing. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. It does. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's a key. I've written a paper on this idea of repetitive crafting, um, which for me, talks about artists who push things to an extreme through repetitiveness, but it's also um, just as much about taking time and slowing down and focusing in. And I know I, I do walk a lot um, along, I live near Moriata, so I'm very lucky around that area, and I am taking in the particularities of trees, not just trees in general, but how each tree is shaped by having a limb lopped off or, um, you know, there's not always nice signs of people drilling into trees and, and things, but also just them taking in the weather and um, drought and all these things that are happening. Um, but yeah, I think on, on the focus of meditation practices, for me, it is through embroidery. It is through that slowing down. And it's, even though this might be a large work, all of my works happen at a very intimate scale. So it might end up being a larger something that's pieced together, but I'm often taking components off and working at them on this kind of very small scale and looking at every little detail. I think I'd, I'm often oscillating between very close and big picture and very close and big picture, and I have to keep that balance going, yeah. Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, so the questions around um, secondary education and art. And I did study art. I studied art all through um, primary school and high school. But I will say that I don't know, for some reason my brain has lopped off a lot of the details of my earlier years. Um, but what I can remember is, and I have looked back at early reports saying, Sarah has a real flair for art. So it was something that was encouraged. But I'm also, um, I've spoken about this with a few artists here, I'm also a maths person. I think often in numbers and patterns, which you might see from this, and my year 10 maths teacher, when I said I was going off in the direction of arts, told me I'd be wasted in the arts. And I used that as motivation. I thought, right, I'm going to show you, because I think I'm that kind of person that I'll just keep poking. And if I see a boundary, and, you know, there are often boundaries that you come across as artists that are not, you know, they're false boundaries, you know, that divide between art and craft that used to come up a lot. You know, I don't see that as a boundary. I'm always, you know, poking beyond what's acceptable. 
or what, what is, you know, housed under that idea of, of art, continually poking. But in high school, yeah, I did art all the way through to year 12. I, both my parents aren't into art and um, my dad's an accountant, so going off to study art at Adelaide was not a safe bet. <laughs> and, and he was right there, but my mum always said, do what you're passionate about. So I think you can, you know, if, if you are passionate about it, you can make it work and you do lots of side jobs and, and make it happen in that way as well. It's still the reality for most artists practising. Um, yes, I think I've always, though, embraced this making other worlds. So when I think about what I do with my work, it's creating, making the familiar strange. And that's what making other small worlds does. And an exhibition really is creating another world momentarily for people to enter into, to see things in a new way. And I would say I did a lot of that and I was taught a lot of that, particularly through books, you know, Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton and all of those books growing up, but going off into yeah, particularly English as a subject when I was going through high school as well. Um, I was going to say, it reminded me when I was talking about the kitsch side of it, again, I am always poking and I think that Semco long stitches aren't always included in the canon of visual arts <laughs> and I want them to be there so I'm going to keep on poking and poking and adding them in and I've written scholarly papers and chapters about them because I think they say something important and I, I think that kitsch, Australiana, all of those things that are can be used as disparaging terms are terms to reclaim and that I want to reclaim with my practice and I keep using that stuff to create, and I'll keep doing it as well. <laughs> I'm just wondering how big the original um, piece of stitching was and why you chose to make it the size that it is. You know, how did you decide, you're going to blow this up? How yeah. much do I want to blow it up? Yeah, so it was, it was about 70 centimetres, I think. So I had it on a... Um, a stretcher so I could just work across. But I decided to blow it up this big because of the space that I was showing in um, in Perth, but really it could go whatever size you would like it to go. So that's the, the flexibility of the wallpapers is that they could go depending on the quality of the photograph, but they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Often, often when I show these, you, um, I've shown them from afar, so you approach them and they have that illusion of being a stitched work until you get up to it more closely. I mean, I, I would love to do something of that scale. It's time permitting, <laughs> getting threads that big, like all of that. But yeah, that's definitely a future aim. I think we've reached the end of our time, have we? Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for coming. And thank you to Sarah. We love having our artists come in and, and be able to share their, their thoughts and feelings. And we love the familiar becoming strange. That's very exciting. And we can't wait to see what you get up to next. Uh, the Ramsey runs for a couple more weeks, ends on the 25th of August. And stay tuned to your inboxes. Uh, on Friday, we'll have our People's Choice announcement. So, ooh, pretty exciting. Please join me again in thanking Sarah Waters.